But the reality is, if we position ourselves as the hero in the story, as leaders, uh, even as spouses and parents, as coaches, uh, and especially as brands and marketing, if we position ourselves as the hero, it actually turns customers off. And here's why. Welcome to The Ziggler Show, the show that exists to inspire your true performance. I'm your host, Kevin Miller. Today, Tom Ziegler and I bring you a guy we are both massive fans of, renowned author and now business leader, Don Miller. Here's my testimony. Of books written in the last decade, I have heard more testimony of actual life change as a result of people reading Don's book, A Million Miles in a Thousand Years, than any other book, literally, period. I purchased three cases of the book and given it away. I attended Don's storyline conferences, as have much of my family and friends. Well, now Don has brought his expertise and insight on story to the business world with unprecedented acclaim. If you want a successful business, and I'd say life, what you'll hear in the following interview and in Don's just released book, Building a Story Brand, Clarify Your Message So Customers Will Listen, customers will listen is a must read. And why it really flips our perspective of how to promote what we have to offer to the public. It's not about our products or our services. It's about them, the customer, and reframing that is a, a drastic difference and vital. So he takes us through the structure of a good storyline and how we can and must apply it to our offerings in this format. A character who wants something encounters a problem before they can get it. At the peak of their despair, a guide steps into their lives, gives them a plan, and calls them to action. That action helps them avoid failure and ends in a success. When you listen in, I predict two things here. One, you'll realize that in your business, you're violating some of these principles, this structure. And two, you'll have an aha moment that you can take action on right away. You can connect with Don at storybrand.com. Before we dive in, this show is brought to you in part by EZ. That's the letters EZ, EZ Metrics. If you feel like your online marketing strategies are not producing much value, especially Facebook, then the digital marketing expert behind the Ziegler brand, Jacob Salem, is holding a live online training where he'll be teaching what has changed in the world of online marketing. Jacob will let you in behind the scenes as he shares the exact strategy that he used to grow the Ziegler Facebook fan page to over 4 million likes. I think it's almost 4.5 million now, organically, including... Four absolutes you must know in order to grow your business online. He's inviting all Ziggler Show listeners to the Law Law Live online training for free. Simply go to easymetrics.info and register for free. Again, you can sign up for free by going to EZ, that's the letters easy, easymetrics.info. Here now, Tom Ziggler and I bring you Don Miller. Well, hey, Don, we are incredibly honored to talk with you today. Uh, Tom Ziegler was adamant about co-hosting with me because he read the book and it impacted his perspective for Ziegler overall, which I want you to tell us about real quick, Tom, to, to jump off. You bet. Uh, I got lucky. I got an advanced copy of the new book and uh, dug into it. And of course, when I was little, I'd say, Dad, what do we sell? And he would say, oh, we sell hope and encouragement. <laughs> and... <laughs> So I'm reading the book and there's this little exercise where you, you, you do a, what I call an elevator pitch. You know, you put it all in one sentence. Yes. Uh, using your, uh, you know, your concepts and ideas. And so here's the sentence. And this sentence has literally guided me over the last eight weeks uh, on talks that I do, on one-on-one -on -one conversations, on emails. that I, I mean, it's just a cool sentence. So That's awesome. If if I get it wrong, tell me offline. If I get it if I <laughs> if I get it right. So here it is. At Ziegler, we help busy people achieve true success through a one-step action plan. So I'll say it again. At Ziegler, yeah, no, I love it. We help I, busy people. Yeah, I love it. The the the, the exercise you're talking about is called a one-liner. 
And it's a, it is a, it's a supposed to be a one-sentence story. So it's a problem, a product, and a solution. So the only thing I changed to that is we help busy people go through a one-step action plan, which, you know, uh, and however you, you, you resolve it, uh, you, you switch around those two. But basically, that's like a summer. You know when you're, you're scrolling through your iPhone and you're looking for what movie you're going to go see? Yeah. That sentence that describes the movie, every business leader needs that for their business. And here's what's great about what you just did. Now you're at a cocktail party and rather saying, well, I work for my dad's company or, you know, you're probably familiar with when you say what you just said, they go, wow, I'd really like to take that one step plan because I'd like to be more free. And <laughs> it generates a lot of business. It's, and we call it a one liner. We think that, that every employee should have the exact same one liner memorized. It should be the email signature. Uh, for every employee, uh, it should be on the back of business cards, on and on. And you just wouldn't believe how when you get everybody on the same page describing what the company does, word of mouth about that company grows. Yeah, and my my results have just been two things. They want to know what true success is. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, of course, because the world has a lot of definitions of success, and most of them aren't true. And mm. then they want to they, – they go, a one-step action plan, I can do that. And then they're like, I don't believe it. Which is, <laughs> which is the perfect way to get somebody engaged, right? When it's, when it's too good to be true, but then you show them, hey, this is true. This is how you do it. So, Well, I think it's a great sentence. It, it uh, offers a lot and it makes you want it. And it also begs a few questions, which makes you want to keep the conversation going and dive in. I, right. I, let us know how it works. I'm really curious how, how it works for you. Yeah. So just starting off this podcast, everybody listening needs to know I'm applying this <laughs> literally in four or five conversations a day because it, awesome. and on webinars and everything, because it really, what's the essence of, of what we do at Ziegler and capsulating into that one sentence has just been powerful. So that's great. Well, and we're going to dig into the, to the pieces of this, but yeah, I'll tell you right off the bat that I have a, a brand new business that we are nearing launch and it will be crafted. It is being crafted around this uh, now, around the message that we're going to walk through today. But first off, I do, I got to tell you, the book launched two days ago. I'm looking on Amazon. It's number 26 in books overall right now, which uh, congratulations. Thanks. Uh, that's, that's incredible. Yeah, I, 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 they should call it book launch day, Amazon refresh day. Cause really I just sit around <laughs> and I'm sure. I'm <laughs> yeah. sure. I'm uh, sure. Well, Don, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you, this is the first time we have uh, spoken, but we have history. You just don't know it. Um, when a uh, million miles in a thousand years was released, I had a friend who recommended it to me. He said, Kevin, man, this is right up your alley. You've got to read this book. I did. And the business I had at that time had a, a membership-based uh, business. I gave away probably three cases of the book. It is a top-shelf uh, book for me. And then in September, I think September 2010, you may remember better than I do, I attended your first Storyline Conference in that theater oh, in wow. Portland. Yeah. Wow. You're the one. I was the one. I was No, there was a couple because I was with uh, a real close friend of mine, Justin Lucas Savage, my brother, Jared. Uh, my uncle and my dad, Dan Miller, who you know, he's yes. one of your, yeah, love Dan. One of your neighbors there in Franklin. And then a few years ago, my wife flew to Nashville and attended uh, another one of your storyline conferences. Um, That's awesome. It's just been significant to to my life, my business, my family. My oldest son did a, a high school project around storyline, and so uh, it's it's truly an honor to have you here and finally connect with you today. Well, it's the honor is mine. Thanks for having me. Well, so my question, and, and I'll tell you, my first introduction to you was Blue Like Jazz way, way back in the day. And I, um, uh, I, I loved it. It was, I was, it was right up my alley. Frederick Beekner is a favorite author of mine, and it resonated with me in the same rawness and realness uh, that, uh, that, that he does. So I've been a fan for a long time. Then it seemed to me, Almost all of a sudden, here you come with this book with a business focus. I wasn't quite expecting that and yeah. wanted to know what was the catalyst for that. And is it a fruition or a foray? Well, mostly a fruition. Uh, I, I've written about seven memoirs. They've done really well. But after about the third memoir, started running out of things to say, but the publisher uh, wanted more. 
And so I'd write one more. And at one point I just said, Hey, listen, I haven't done anything different. I mean, I went camping. I could write about that. And they said, well, can you give us another one? You know, so I'm squeezing the rest of the juice out of this orange. And, uh, and then I finally put my foot down and said, look, when you write your eighth memoir, you're a clinical narcissist. <laughs> and they said to me, Don, you are a clinical narcissist. <laughs> write the book. And uh, I thought, well, I don't think I've got it in me. But I, I created this marketing messaging framework to grow my own conference company. And it worked so well that we really kind of sat around on staff and said, hey, this is very, very valuable. Lots of companies could learn from this. And we kind of leaked the fact that we had it. Literally, we didn't even put together a page, made no press release. I just changed my Twitter bio to say something about being able to help companies get their story out there. And the first client was Procter & Gamble. And then the second client was Ford Lincoln. And the third was the White House with the Obama's My Brother's Keeper campaign. Uh, Chick-fil-A jumped in there, Berkshire Hathaway, uh, Steelcase. And so all of a sudden, I, I, you know, the framework itself that we used to grow our company was bigger than the company. And so I shut down the old conference company. And I'm actually just delighted because I feel like, honestly, if you, if you write your seventh, eighth memoir, uh, there's just something that's kind of unfair about being able to get uh, your story heard that much. And this is allowing me to help other people tear, tell their story. And it's proving to be as fulfilling, if not more fulfilling, than all those memoirs that I wrote. So what we do now is we help companies clarify their message. Most companies on their website and elevator pitches, sales scripts, all those that struggling that we do to explain who we are, what we're about, and why customers need us is important work because people buy things based on the words they hear or the words they read. And we have a framework that helps you solidify that message and use it to populate all manner of marketing and sales material. And we've proven it's worked now for about 3,000 companies. Wow. And so finally, it, it feels like a sudden thing, but it's actually been about three years. Uh, finally, it's out in book form. Well, and that framework is what I want to dig into today to help folks digest it uh, completely. And so starting off the top, I, I think the the first thing that grabbed my attention in the book was a couple statements you made that I'm going to ask you to clarify a little bit more. One was your customer should be the hero of the story, not your brand. And then you, you go on and, and end with that statement of may we all be richly rewarded for putting our customers stories above our own. And when I first read that, I thought, Oh, you know, customer testimonials, but that was not necessarily the point <laughs> there. That statement really turned as you well know, but I've been involved in business and, and in branding for so long. And yet I still violate that principle because I'm so excited about my product and what it can do for you and making the person, the hero, I really have to consciously wrap my head around that and recraft my entire positioning. Uh, it's very contrarian to our logic, isn't it? It is. It is a bit counterintuitive, but the reality is if we position ourselves as the hero in the story, as leaders, uh, even as spouses and parents, as coaches, and especially as brands and marketing, if we position ourselves as the hero, it actually turns customers off. And here's why. Every human being self-identifies as the lead protagonist in a story, meaning there's things that we want in life. There are challenges that are keeping us from getting what we want. We have some rough or vague idea of an obligatory scene that we hope will happen that will end all of our conflict or resolve it. These are all narrative uh, characteristics that would go into story formulas. The problem is if you identify as a hero and we're at a cocktail party and you say, Don, what do you do? And I say, well, you know, I've got this great company and we're trying to double our revenue and we're trying to increase our great places to work metric. And my grandfather started the company and these kinds of things. What your brain does is your brain hears me say, I'm a hero. Huh. And if you're a hero and I'm a hero, then who's the story about? Right. And so you're going, OK, well, that's an interesting story, but you're not a character in my story. You're in your own story. That's the first thing that happens. And, and also, subconsciously, we both believe that we're contending for a scarcity of resources. Mm. So when you're the hero in the story, there's a subconscious contention that you have with your customer. Instead, there's this other character in stories. And that character is, we call it the guide. And the guide is the character that helps the hero win the day. Yoda to Luke Skywalker, Hamish to Katniss, Lionel in the King's Speech to King George, there's a guide character that helps the hero. And we say, look, don't position yourself as the hero in the story. Position yourself as the guide in the story because every customer is actually looking for a guide. They're looking for somebody who can help them win the day. 
And the way that we position ourselves as the guide is we just have to do two things. One, we express empathy for the customer's frustration. So we say, we know how hard it is uh, to stay motivated at work and in life, you know, uh, and, 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 or, or we feel your pain. You remember when Bill Clinton said, I feel your pain? Yeah. Uh, we understand, you know, empathy toward the hero is the first thing. And the next is competence or authority. Uh, I have the ability to end this problem for you. So it's, I feel your pain and I can get you out of it. I feel your pain and I know how to get you out of it. I've gotten thousands of people out of it. That's the one-two punch that if you're talking to somebody, positions you as the guide in their life. And once we position ourselves as the guide and stop positioning ourselves as the hero, we see dramatic, dramatic results. And if you don't mind, I'll give you one example. Yeah, please. Uh, Not to go into politics or anything, but this presidential election was one of the biggest upsets in in campaign history. Certainly in modern history, it was the biggest upset. And when you look closely at the two candidates, even though one seems very self-obsessed and self-assured in the campaign language, he wasn't really talking much about himself at all. He was saying, make America great again, these kinds of things. He was inviting the American public into a story so that they could be heroes and start a movement and push back against Washington, D.C. So rather than telling his story, which he actually never did tell his story. Uh, in fact, I didn't even know he was married until he hit South Carolina in the primaries. He was already sweeping the primaries before he even brought his family out on stage. So he understood this really isn't about me. I'm inviting people into a story. His opponent felt like and thought that she needed to play the hero in the story, that she needed to come up and save the day. Her campaign slogan was, I'm with her. Well, if I'm with her, she's the hero in the story. And we actually filmed a video about eight months before the election said, if she keeps this up, she's going to lose because people won't vote for the hero. They'll vote for the guy. And it's exactly what happened. The same thing is probably happening with a lot of people listening to this podcast. They're probably saying to themselves, why isn't this working? Why aren't people following me? Why aren't people buying uh, from me? And it may be because you position yourself in the hero in the story rather than the person who helps the hero win. As a brand, we need to be, position ourselves like Q in those James Bond movies where the hero comes into the cave and we show them all the weapons we've got, i.e. products, yeah. to help them accomplish something and resolve conflicts. Well, you – so it seems like even prior to that, um, that it, you, you take us from the key to being seen, heard, and understood, and you take us away from explaining, again, our company, product, or service and drive us to clarify what our message is. And then if I've, if I'm understanding right within that message, then we start that formulation of the framework that the hero and the guide, but even that our message, I know, you know, this better than I do. Matter of fact. Okay. So I caught you on a Facebook as I was, I was stalking you because I get paid to do that now. (laughs) And I saw you as entree leadership with Ken Coleman. You did a Facebook live and you were, I got a couple questions on that, but you were going over some websites and you went to one. It was a uh, like a salvage company or recycling or something recycling like that. Recycling company, yeah. And I thought that's a that's a that, that's one that I think at face value I would assume somebody's gonna have a hard time going. Well, we recycle stuff. What's what's our message? I, we recycle stuff. How do you so extrapolate out of that the essence of no with any product service, which I would assume you would say there is a message that's going to resonate with people. That's right. And actually, they should have taken uh, some cues from you. They would do a lot more business if they said on their website, we recycle stuff. <laughs> but they weren't, even saying, they weren't even saying that. In fact, the website was blank. It had a picture of their building and it just said, you know, and then there were a bunch of links, contact, frequently asked questions, connect with us. But they never actually told me what they did. And so if I go to their website and I see a building, first of all, I think you're selling a building. So now I'm confused about who you are. And if you confuse your customers, they'll never get unconfused. So you can never, ever let them get confused. Mm. What, what you were watching was after going through this framework, we help companies clarify their message, then they can populate their website. So we were sort of at the end of the process of looking at websites saying, okay, how do we, clear, how do we use these messages? And we were analyzing those. But your, your website needs to pass the grunt test. And the grunt test means if I took a laptop and handed it to a caveman and gave the caveman five seconds with your website and then closed the lid on the, on the, on the laptop, I need, to, I need to ask the caveman three questions, and he should be able to answer them uh, in order for you to know that your, your website is good, doing good business. The first is, what do you offer? And then the second is, how will it make my life better? 
And the third is, what do I need to do to buy it? And if our websites aren't answering those three questions within five seconds, we're losing business. And so that's the importance today, especially today, because the average consumer is encountering 3,000 commercial messages a day, 3,000 commercial messages a day. Wow. So the idea that we could be cute or clever and stand out is uh, a myth. It's just not true. You've got to be crystal, crystal clear. Nobody knows what Jeb Bush wanted to do with America. Nobody knows what Marco Rubio wanted to do with America. Nobody knows what Chris Christie wanted to do with America. They told us a million times. They spent over $100 million telling us, but it just didn't stick. Yeah. Donald Trump worked it into a slogan, make America great again, put it on a red trucker's hat, and people remembered it, and they, they elected him president. And then again, politics aside, but that's just evidence that simple messaging will win the day. And so if your company doesn't have a simple, crystal clear message that you've worked out and spent some time with, and now you're executing and populating it in all your marketing uh, methodology, all your, your elevator pitches, your keynotes, all that kind of stuff, uh, then you're not actually doing effective branding. You're not getting your message out into the world. And it's costing you millions. Yeah. Well, so the confusion, uh, I think, I know in my own history with business, I have done that a lot and didn't realize it. You know, it makes sense to me. And it wasn't until somebody else told me it was, it was confusing that I realized that because I'm speaking my speak, our speak, and not to their speak, which is the point so much of your of your book here. But then the next thing that you, uh, that I read in there that goes along with it to me that really did resonate just from a user standpoint is calorie burning. And I think you talked yeah. about that on the show that people are going to your website, they see what you got and they're burning calories, trying to figure it out because I have probably, despite myself missed out on great products or services because I go there. I'm so impatient. My attention span is so uh, little and I know that I can find something else. There's too many offerings out there that calorie burning really resonated with me. And I think that's the one that when I think about the audience that's listening to this, they will realize because we've all done it. We go look for something and we go to the website. We don't know what it is. We go, boom, let's go to the next search engine hit. That one uh, yeah. seems powerful. Yeah. And, and I explain how the brain works in the very first chapter of the book. There are two things that the brain is trying to do at all times. First is survive and thrive. The brain is tasked with keeping you alive. That's its main job. And, uh, and that, just, that doesn't mean just physically alive. It means uh, also connected with others in relationships, uh, gaining status, having, being spiritually nurtured, you know, all things that have to do with being alive and thriving. And the second thing that the brain is trying to do actually contends with the first thing, and that is it's trying to conserve calories. It takes a lot of calories for us to process information. Now, if I go to your website or I'm talking to you at a, at a party or something like that, and you're giving me a bunch of data that I don't need in order to survive or that I can't figure out how it's going to help me survive, the survival mechanism in my brain will say, hey, let's stop listening to this guy. Yeah. Let's actually shut down. Let's start to daydream so that we can conserve calories because tonight barbarians might come over the hill and I've got to be ready uh, out behind my cul-de-sac, right? Yeah, yeah. And so th that's actually how the brain works. So what that means is we have to, on our, on our websites and our marketing collateral, as we talk about what we do in a very succinct, easy way, state how we can help our customers and do so in such a simple way they don't have to burn any calories to understand it. And that's the only way to get your message into the human subconscious. <laughs> so I... I this is making me smile because I just read a study um, where they, in New York, they made the restaurants put the calorie count <laughs> of each item on the menu. And the goal was to get the obese population, which is usually lower income uh -huh. to choose wisely. Right. Yes. Instead they saw the calorie as value. Oh no. <laughs> and it had an inverse effect. If I'm going to spend $3, I might as well get 500 calories instead of 200 calories. Uh, that is fascinating. And I think websites are the same way. It's like the more technical stuff we can put, the better we think it is. So what? No, are, it's the opposite. Yeah. So what are the three or four or five most common website mistakes that are calorie intensive? that are guaranteed to make your your prospect, your customer leave in 10 seconds or less? 
That is really a great question from Tom and Don's answers are actions we can take on our websites immediately. So we'll listen to that in just a second. Again, get Don's book, building a story brand, clarify your message. So customers will listen wherever you buy books and you can connect with him at storybrand.com. And as always, folks, if you're getting value here, please let us know with a positive iTunes review that helps us more than anything. Before we hear Don's reply, we have two great services to tell you about. First is concur as a business leader. Employee satisfaction is just as important as the bottom line. That's why there's concur. They provide cloud-based travel expense and invoice services for business. Concur is a part of SAP and imagines the way cost-effective travel should work, offering cloud-based services that make it simple for companies to manage travel expenses. By connecting data, applications, and people, Concur helps small to large companies manage spending wherever and whenever it happens. Only Concur offers the tools that benefit both your employees and your finance team. Employees love automated expense claims and invoices they can submit and approve from anywhere. Finance loves that they have full visibility into employee spending. Plus, Concur integrates with leading finance systems. So with Concur Travel, you can let employees book travel on any site and also stay within company travel and expense policies. With Concur Expense, you get automated expense reporting that allows your employees to create an expense by taking a picture of the receipt and automatically it gets added to their expense report. For finance leaders, this provides you with more accurate data to manage company spending. So with Concur Invoice, you can capture invoices electronically, whether received via paper, fax, or email, then automatically route and manage approval. So learn more at Concur, C-O-N-C-U-R, concur.com slash Ziggler. Again, that's concur.com slash Ziggler. Next is Smart Biz Loans. So has anybody ever really found a needle in a haystack? Of course not. And those impossible odds can be what it feels like when you apply for an SBA loan. That's why Smart Biz Loans was created. With 6 to 8% interest rates and low monthly payments, SBA loans are considered the gold standard of small business loans. SmartBiz Loans makes SBA loans easy. They streamline the entire process, matching you with one of their SBA preferred bank partners that are most likely to approve your loan. The whole process is simple. It takes less than five minutes to pre-qualify and loans can be funded in just a few weeks. With features in Forbes and the Wall Street Journal and over half a billion dollars funded in SBA loans, Smart Biz Loans is the most trusted place to apply for the SBA loan you need to grow your business. So visit smartbizloans.com and see what you pre-qualify for. Use promo code Ziggler for $500 off your closing cost. Again, that's smartbizloans.com, promo code Ziggler, uh, smartbizloans.com. Disclaimer real quick here, loans have a variable rate of prime rate plus 1.5% to 3.75%. Well, 90% of the work is really in that header. And by header, I mean everything above the fold, everything that you see when you first go to a website. There should not be a lot of text. There should be one statement that really says what you offer. uh, And you should say what you do. uh, And it should not be confusing. For instance, you know, Kevin watched the other day as I, I reviewed some websites on Facebook and there was a wonderful woman who had a, a, a company that, uh, well, well, it was called the Floral Events. What, not the name of the company. What, what she said on her website was Floral Events. And I thought, okay, do you do events for flowers? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> because that's what a floral event is as far as I know. And I, she said, no. And I said, well, what do you do? And she said, we host really beautiful events. And I said, why don't you say we host really beautiful events? Well, don't make anybody think. And so she made, she made me burn calories to try to figure out what a floral event is. But here's the thing. I was willing to burn the calories because I was studying her website. Nobody else would be willing. They would just be confused. Or they would say, well, floral events is nice, but I'm really looking for somebody to do my wedding. Well, she could have done her, the wedding if she would have just, and they would have known that if she would have just said that. So it's, it's those kinds of mistakes. We, we end up being so close to our websites. We're so close to our products. We think people understand what we're talking about, but they don't. And today, you've got to explain it in a very, very basic way. And it takes a minute. You know, you've got to sit down and kind of think it through. We've got a seven-part framework in the book, 
And each of the seven parts, you actually go to a free piece of software on the internet and you fill it out online and it helps you clarify that message. So that by the end, it's all down on one page. But you want to do a, you basically, you want to do the math for your customers. Don't make your customers think, do all the thinking for them. And that's the number one problem people have with websites. They're too complicated. I would say you don't need a whole lot of text. You definitely don't need paragraphs. You want to use images that are as powerful as words. Uh, you, you don't want to confuse people at any point. And, uh, and, and that's the, the big issue. Well, you, so I've got this, this, this vision of you now, uh, from a movie, the notebook, uh, assume you've seen the notebook and there's that classic scene where the guy's saying to the girl, you know, what do you want? What do you want? And I, and I felt like that with you on the, sh- on the, uh, Facebook live. <laughs> it's what do you do? What do you do? And, and I know in the book, you talk about business has an enemy and it is noise. And of course, that's what I saw you do on the Facebook live was really help people get rid of that noise and be specific. But yeah, it, does that feel like a, a lot of, it seems pretty simplistic to some degree. You're coming to the site, you're immediately confused, you're burning calories and you're saying, what do you do? That seems somewhat where we need to all be taken aback and go, do we do that? Are we saying that on our websites? Yeah. And you know, when, uh, when you hand your business card to somebody, we think they they file that business card away in their brain alphabetically under the name of our company. That's actually not how it works. The only reason people want your business card or want to retain that information is because you, they know you solve a problem. It's the only reason somebody goes to our website. It's the only reason somebody calls you. It's the only reason uh, people walk through the door of your retail establishment because you solve a problem. And, the, and people remember you based on the problem that you solve, right? Okay. And so you want to own a problem. You want to say, we're the people who, who fix leaky gutters or uh, we're the people who get the weeds out of your lawn. We're the people who, you know, do whatever. And if, if, you have, if you have a muddled message and you haven't clearly explained to people what problem you solve, then they take that business card, they can't figure out what problem you solve and it goes into the junk drawer or it goes into the trash can and then when they do have the problem that you, you do solve, they don't remember you. And so we want to be very clear. It's, it's just branding. And if either of you guys have ever branded a cow, you kind of know how it works. You lay across the back of that calf, you brand that cow. And then, but what would happen if I took another rancher's brand and I put it over the top of that one and another rancher's brand and put it over the top of that one? When we talk about our businesses in such various ways and use different language, it's like taking brands and putting it right over there. We need to own a problem and say, we're the people who solve this problem. We're the people who solve this problem. We're the people who solve this problem. And once we become known for that, finally, the cue that is the problem itself triggers the thought of our company. And that's how we, we become uh, recognized in the marketplace. Yeah, I'm thinking about Ziggler, Tom. I'm looking at you and saying, are we clear right now? If we go to the website, I don't even know if I want Don to do that because we might don't get embarrassed. Go. Don't, don't go there. there. Do, do we own, what is the problem that we own? Um, that, well, it's interesting that, you know, Tom said that his dad said we sell hope and inspiration. And so when I think about Zig Ziggler, I, I do think hope and inspiration. Yeah. So his brand is still alive and well and solving a problem of, man, I'm just not very motivated today. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I really need a good weekend read that's going to punch me in the gut or some curriculum for my team that's going to get them inspired and increase productivity. We need some hope and inspiration. And so I think uh, he did a great job owning that. And, of course, you just want to keep uh, uh, staking claim to that territory and owning it all you can. So I'm curious, and I, honestly, I've been curious about this even since reading A Million Miles in a Thousand Years, and you talk, the, the section where you talk about the, uh, the the guy who taught, he was like a movie script writer uh, that you went to his- Robert McKee, class. yes. Thank you. Yes, I could not remember the guy's name. And you know, with this formulaic uh, framework that you talked about there, and now you've expanded upon- here it feels like I am continually blown away by the the hundred million dollar movie or beyond that or the you know multi million dollar Super Bowl ad where they miss it and I literally think about you I think did these guys not read the book it's out there it's cheap they spent hundreds of millions of dollars I mean when you see yeah the big movies that come out and you read the reviews and people will they'll almost speak to this man it just it, it looked good it should have been good but it didn't endear me to the character 
or the mm-hmm. Super Bowl ad that, oh my gosh, it was really compelling. But at the end, you know, the, the picture of the big sweaty guy, just, I didn't want to be involved in that. And they, and they missed it. Yeah. Are, are there just, again, is it just basic? They missed a couple key points here. They're, they, they, yeah, absolutely. They, they broke some rules okay. and it, it's easier. Uh, it's, it's harder to do than you'd think. And, and a lot of times you're halfway into production and you, you've realized you've broken some rules and you're trying to fix it. And you can kind of tell those movies where they're trying to make it work, but um, they just couldn't do it. And so either the character wasn't clearly defined what they wanted, or we just didn't like the character or the mm-hmm. challenge that faced the character uh, wasn't uh, powerful enough. Uh, you can make a mistake. If you humanize the villain, the villain needs to be uh, very one dimensional and, and trying to stop the hero from doing it. If you show a, a kind side to the villain and there's some redeemable aspect in their character, it'll ruin the movie. And so they're just these rules that are timeless rules that it's amazing to me. I, I'm with you. I don't know how you spent a hundred million dollars and you just didn't, and you got that one piece wrong and that's, what's going to cost you a lot of money here. Uh, or the, you know, the movie was, just, it just didn't develop fast enough or they, a lot of times will have too many characters who want too many things Huh. And at that point, they're asking the audience to burn too many calories. And again, what's really happening in the brains of a dissatisfied audience is the audience says, this is too complicated. I'm not interested. Uh, I can't give any more calories to processing this information. I'm going to shut down and start to daydream as a survival mechanism. It's exactly what happens when you tell an unclear story in a movie script. And it's exactly what happens when you tell an un- un- unclear story and your branding. It also happens if you are the leader of an organization and you are constantly pivoting and changing directions and not reminding people where the story is going. Uh, one staff meeting, you say it this way, the next staff meeting, you've changed your mind, but you've got to tell people that you changed your mind. That's the equivalent of inviting somebody into a story in which they don't know where it's going. They don't know why it's important and they're not even sure what role to play. I think the, the key to an executive is just like the key to a movie director. You wake up every morning, you say, this is where our story is going. Here's why it matters. And here's your role within that story. And sadly, too many of our leaders aren't doing that. And so they have employees who show up and, you know, they take long bathroom breaks and sit on the toilet and read sports scores just to, to mm-hmm. feel, you know, to get away from it all. And that's uh, because their work is, they're suffering in their work because it, it, we've treated them like an actor saying, hey, come to the movie set, it's time to do your scene, but we never told them what role they play, we never gave them lines, we never gave them a script, and now we expect them to perform. It's just not going to work. Uh, the key to getting productivity out of people is to say, here's where we're going, here's why it matters, and here's your role inside of this important story. Well, so, and I'm going to ask a question and folks, I'm also going to shamelessly plug, go get the book because it is so much of, of, I appreciate that it's a workbook. And so as Tom talked about, I am working through it as a workbook with a business endeavor that I'm working on right now. But at face value, when people first hear this, I felt like, gosh, on one hand, you're saying, okay, what you've got, not to make it all about a website, but you, you know, what's the headline above the fold, simple, people have to understand it in five seconds or less. And yet we're also talking about story and it kind of gave me a little tension. Like, oh, holy smokes, I got to get folks attention in five seconds, but I have to tell the story. And I'm going to get into your seven pieces of, of the framework here uh, bit by bit, but if you could just... I guess, comment on that, that yes, we have to grab people's attention and then it is through that they'll give us permission to take them to the next step within the story. Well, you really don't want to tell your story. What you want to do is invite people into a story. Okay. And the way you do that, the seven parts to the framework, I'll summarize it for you. The first thing is a character. You have to know who the character is. So that's your customer. And we need to invite them to want something. We have to agitate a desire in their lives. You know, they want to be a better dad or they want to be a better mom or they want hope and inspiration. They want to live an inspired life. We need to define something. But there's some mistakes that screenwriters make and so do brands. They'll define too many things that the character wants. And if Jason Bourne wants to know who he really is, but he also wants to lose 30 pounds and he's thinking about running a marathon, and he's considering adopting a cat, you're going to lose the audience. It's just, it's too many calories that you're asking them to burn. 
And we can do the same thing with our company. Uh, a human brain just doesn't have room for you to be a world-class plumber and also a personal chef, right? Yeah. I can't categorize you that easily. And so we've got to find something that our, our, our brand can offer the world that we can be remembered by. And that something needs to be uh, defined and pointed. And yet all of our revenue streams need to fit inside of it. So our friends over at Ramsey Solutions, Dave Ramsey, they sell mortgages, they sell conference tickets, they sell books, they sell seminars, uh, they sell all sorts of stuff. But really what they sell is financial peace. Yeah. And so he sells one thing and many different ways to get it. But he's known as the financial peace guy. The next thing you have to have after you define what the character wants is a problem. And we need to talk about our customers' problems all the time and how our products resolve those problems. Because as I said earlier, the only, thing, the only reason the customer is coming to you is to resolve a problem. And then we position ourselves as the guide, which we've already talked about, Kevin, on this podcast, where we, are, we exist to help the customer win and we become the person that they're looking for. And then we give them a plan. That's the fourth part, a, an easy plan to solve their problem. And you just need to map things out so that nobody goes, oh, this is too difficult, right? We want to break things down. And I get into the book uh, on uh, different kinds of plans that you can create for your customers that invite them into the story. And then fifth, we call them to action. You, you, you've got to ask your customer to buy something, and there's some right ways to do that. But we have to challenge our customers to step into this story. And then sixth and seventh are the stakes. And so things can either end in a happy ending mm-hmm. or they can end in a tragic ending, which means we have to tell our customers what life will look like if they do business with us. And, of course, it's going to look great. But we also have to tell them what life will look like if they don't do business with us. And if there are stakes in the story, the story becomes meaningful. As soon as we remove any negative consequences from doing, from life, if you do not do business with me, then there is no reason for you to do business with me and customers just pass us by. So there have to be stakes. So it's a character that wants something, yeah. who uh, has a problem and meets a guide who gives them a plan and calls them to action that either ends in success or failure. Those are the seven parts of every story, and they are the seven most important messages to define for your business so that you can invite people into a story. So would I be, would I be errant to, as I looked at that, I thought, got to be a strong biblical context to that because I'm, I'm <laughs> feeling some relationship with God in that. Well, you know, it's a whole other book, but the real question is, where did that story framework come from? You know, it's 2000 years old and it's been, you know, I I always start with Aristotle, but of course uh, it was around before Aristotle and Plato in the caves. Uh, And I think it's the imprint of our reality. And so I think that we are all self-identify as heroes and we all have problems. And so when you actually look at, you know, what kind of foot would create this footprint, Mm -hmm. what kind of thing would create the imprint of narrative on our human psychology. And then of course you look to, you know, I would look to the gospel of Jesus and say, okay, well, this actually makes a lot of sense. Now the, the, the existence of narrative framework points to uh, the fact that something tough happened and we're all searching for something. We all hope there's an obligatory scene and we're all looking for a guide that can help us through. You know, sometimes I get in trouble in religious uh, context because I say, listen, Jesus isn't the hero. And people think, oh, my gosh, that's a sacrilegious thing to say. Blasphemous, but if you, yes. But if you, if you look at it, the hero is a weak character who doesn't know if he can get it done and is looking for somebody to help him. Mm. Uh, that's us. Jesus is the guy. He's the mm. one who's already been there, done that, fixed the problem, and is trying to yeah. get us home. Yeah. You know, I, I wrote this short story one time, and and – it was about a guy who finds himself lost in the jungle and he's just, you know, he's desperate to get out. He's got to go through quicksand and rivers and poisonous snakes and everything else. And then I, po- I pose a question to the audience. You have the choice of having a map that'll get you out or standing right next to you could be the map maker. Mm-hmm. Who do you want? Yeah, that's a great story. Right. And so, of course, it's it's a biblical context. As a believer, I believe we've got both. You know, we've got the map, which is God's word, but we also have a relationship. Mm-hmm. And so 
but what you're saying is so true. I've never, you know, the context of, of the guide is the one who has the assurance, the strength, the knowing how to get to the destination to avoid the quicksand and the poisonous snakes and the cliffs along the way. That's so right. Let, so let me just, uh, to everybody in our, in our podcast, let me just kind of roll back one of our internal discussions that is, that we struggle with, uh, that has to do with what you do. We have a program called our Ziegler legacy certification. Mm -hmm. And what it is, it's our mastery level program where we certify people to go out and teach our legendary products and serve. I mean, it's like you now become a messenger. We equip you. Right. Right. And so in our marketing, we've had, you know, we've gone through all the process and we appeal to different areas and it's, it seems to be one of the hardest things to simplify because some people who come through it, they want to be a speaker, a trainer, a coach, or a consultant. So it's perfect. But some, they don't have any interest in that. They want the ultimate personal development, mastery, why behind the why program. Right. And others are like, man, I've been using this philosophy my whole life. I'm already successful. I just need a vehicle to give it away easier. I don't want to make money doing this. Right. And so how do we, you know, what's the process that, that we have a, what I think is the, is just an, a life changing solution because at the end of the day, you achieve your dreams by helping others achieve theirs. I mean, that's really what it is. Yeah. Um, it's, clarity of purpose it's it's like people know inside of them they were meant for more but they don't have the game plan and so for a lot of people this is the game plan how do we how do we go through the process of of saying ah that's the message that brings everybody in and it's simple so we don't burn any extra calories well, I mean, that, that's a 16-hour process <laughs> that we would go through okay. to help you define that, and, and we do that in workshops. Uh, but really, you're looking for that umbrella uh, statement that where all of those different segmented audiences could fit inside of that statement. And so uh, helping people achieve their dreams, it sounds pretty close to it, Right. Uh, and then you might segment that audience in different landing pages, one for executive coaches, the other for people who just want to, uh, you know, consume even more Ziegler wisdom and material. And, and you would you would segment those audiences differently in an actual business strategy and marketing strategy. But the key is to find that umbrella statement that everything can fit underneath of that. Okay, so, I like that. Yeah. Um, do you like true success or dreams better? Is this the start of the 16-hour process right now? <laughs> I don't like dreams. I mean, I like them in reality, but uh, I, don't, I think it's too vague. We call that a slippery bowling ball. Okay. And what I mean by that is every piece of information that you hand somebody is an eight-pound bowling ball. Uh, if you hand them one eight-pound bowling ball, it's about all they can handle. But if you force them to, they can hold two. Some people can hold three. And by the time you hold them the fourth, all the, all, everything drops. So you can only hand them one piece of bowling ball at a time or per piece of marketing collateral. If you use inside language or vague language, like uh, your dreams will come true, uh, it's like taking a bowling ball and, and, and uh, coating it in Vaseline and handing it to somebody. Got it. It's very difficult to know. You know I need to know what that is, and I don't, I don't know what that is. So you're making me think, and of course, if I have to think, okay, what does he mean by dreams? Uh, of course, that's contextual. I'd have to read the statement but I'm probably going to not be able to get purchase on that bowling ball and be able to hold it. And it's just too slippery. So we don't want to use vague or, or elusive language. Uh, but, I, but you, you know, you haven't been using elusive language. When you say we help people uh, make their dreams come true, or we help people achieve their goals, uh, you know, that means I could be in the business of helping people and activating people. And if I'm wired as an activator myself, that's going to be very appealing to me. Uh, but normally the word dreams, I would say, oh, I don't know, dreams, you know, if my dreams come true, I get what, right? And you right. say, well, you get a higher income. Okay, well, let's say higher income. Let's actually do, go all the way to the end of the line, and then let's talk about that. Love it. That's what I like about Dave Ramsey's because financial peace. Right. 
right? I mean, it is just boom. Yeah. So, so imagine if, if instead of saying, you know, we offer financial peace, he said something like, uh, we offer economic solutions. You, you think he'd be in business? No, I'm not feeling <laughs> no. a warm fuzzy there. But what's interesting is he's, that's what he does. He offers economic solutions, but he's smart enough to say, okay, let, let me tell you what those economic solutions get you. They get you financial peace. Yeah. So what you're really selling is the financial peace. Well, in, in on this, as you're talking about having too many focal points, too many, uh, you know, character who desires too many things I saw. And actually, I don't remember. Was this on the, the Facebook live I saw or may might've been out of the book Schultz photo school. I thought it was a great yeah. option because, you know, being in, involved in self-employment endeavors and helping people pursue self-employment for so many years, photography is often one that's at the top of the list of, I want to be a photographer. Everybody digs that. Uh, so many people do. And you had this guy go from, I don't, I didn't, didn't look at the before story of what all he was offering. Uh, but then you brought him and I went there yesterday and looked at it and right above the fold, we help parents take bitter, better picks. Boom. And it hit me, right? Cause I'm doing that constantly. And unfortunately I'm not taking good pictures. I'm taking, what, what, what is it you called it? Just, uh, like scrapbook shots or something like that. Yeah, you know, yeah, lots of yeah. those that, uh, show that we went to that thing or we did that or whatever, but none of them are a decent pick. Uh, that was brilliant. And that took, I assume a lot of effort on his part because He's a good photographer. He could teach people photography in, in, in this wide breadth that none of us can. Uh, it doesn't differentiate yeah. him at all. Well, yeah. you're referring to a, a business owner named Kyle Schultz, and he okay. lives in Ohio. He was a fireman, but he was a, uh, a amateur photographer, and he loved teaching people to take photos. So he started a little photo school. He launched that photo school and made $28,000, which is great money but not enough to quit your job as a fireman. And actually I think Kyle's in Indiana, if I'm not mistaken, Illinois, he's in Illinois. And uh, you know, not enough to quit your job. He actually, you know, went through the story brand framework. It's in the book, building a story brand. He went through the story brand framework, stayed up all night, cut 90% of the text off of his website, 90% and relaunched his course to the exact same people who had rejected it. Now, you're not going to do much business if they've already rejected it, right? Mm -hmm. But the next day or the next time he opened the course, which was the next day, he made $113,000. He should have made less because these people had already rejected it. But the truth is, the first time he launched the course, they weren't listening because he was speaking over their heads. They didn't fully understand what it was that he offered. But he cut 90% of the text, stopped making them burn so many calories, stopped handing them slippery bowling balls. Here's a great example, Tom. He used to say, I'll teach you how to use F-stop. <laughs> well, I don't know what F-stop is, and I don't know why I need it. Instead, he started saying, I'll teach you how to take those pictures with the blurry background. <laughs> That's the difference between a slippery bowling ball and a bowling ball you can actually pick up. He started doing that and more than quadrupled his revenue. It, immediately. It wasn't over time. It was instantly. You know, I, I just experienced this, uh, today I posted a question on my own Facebook page, which I do. I'll take a quote from a guy like you who we're interviewing and we'll use it to drum up some questions from folks that we can do in a live Q and A. And so I posted a question and I got one response, uh, which is not normal. I went back and looked at it and you had to hit the more button to get to the final question that I was asking. And so today I just put one question and within about 10 minutes, I think I had eight responses that are killer. I got the content I need for the show. It's just, and I, and I feel like I'm supposed to be an expert in this arena as well. And I'm still having to be schooled. Well, so, you know, when you go to number one, a character, and we've been talking about that second part has a problem. I was really intrigued. Uh, when you first said the, the problem is the hook of the story, but then you differentiated between the external problem and the internal problem. I had never seen it put that way. And I think that I have fallen to often primarily talking about the external problem and not getting to the internal. So it was really a different focus for me. Would you uh, let our listeners know, fill them in on that? Yeah. Well, most companies try to sell solutions to external problems that, you know, that they, they sell plumbing equipment. They sell light bulbs. You know, those are external problems. I've got a burned out light bulb. They're physical problems. But people are actually motivated to buy solutions to internal problems. In other words, 
the external problems are causing them frustration. And what is motivating them to make a purchase from you is they're looking for a resolution to the actual frustration, not the external problem. For instance, if uh, all the light bulbs are burned out, well, you know, it's actually true. We've got these really high light bulbs up in my driveway, right? I mean, you've got to get a cherry picker even to get up there and change those things. And they've been out for a long time. And last night, they, the last one went out. Mm-hmm. And the truth is, I could have changed those a long time ago. I probably need to go borrow a ladder and risk my life to get up there and do it or call somebody. Uh, but it never frustrated me because I still had one light. I could still get to the car and it lit up the driveway well enough. I wasn't, I had a problem, but I wasn't frustrated about that problem. Now it's really dark outside and I go outside and, you know, it just, I can't get to my car. I can't feel, you know, I'm feeling around in the dark and my wife goes out and she doesn't know if that's a raccoon or a burglar and uh, those kinds of things. So it's the actual feelings that are causing me to, to make a decision. And what we want to do as marketers is we want to talk about those frustrations or those feelings that our customers are having because that is what is motivating our buying decision. It's the, the resolution of the internal problem. Okay. What is a, I'd love to, as we, as we talk through these real quick, give us some examples, especially if it's companies that you know, most of our folks are going to know. Uh, who are doing a good job of this? Is there a company out there right now that you feel is doing a good job of not just hitting the external problem, but they're, they're nailing us right there at that internal one? Well, I'll pick one that we all know, and, and, uh, and I don't have a whole lot of time, but I think I can get through it. Steve Jobs worked at Apple Computers. Of course, he co-founded Apple Computers, and he, uh, he, the company was going bankrupt. They weren't going bankrupt. They were, they were going south pretty quickly. So he released a, a computer called Lisa, and I believe it was in the late 80s, early 90s. And that company, or that computer bombed. Well, he released that with a nine-page ad in the New York Times spelling out all the technical details and features of that computer. Now, based on everything we've talked about in this podcast, you know that isn't going to do well. And then, uh, and, and then he, of course, he never, never was fired from Apple, but he was put in a building by himself. <laughs> so the writing's on the wall. He sells all of his stock out of bitterness, which he, you know, he shouldn't have done that because it cost him hundreds of millions of dollars. Goes off and starts a company called Next and heavily invests in a company called Pixar. Now, Pixar was not a movie-making company. They were owned by George, George Lucas, but George just wanted the hardware, and he hoped that some way that hardware would be robust enough to do some CGI work. Uh, it wasn't. And, but it did develop while Steve owned Pixar. Steve just wanted the hardware too. He, didn't, he didn't, didn't have any interest in stories or animation. It was actually the, the mouthwash company Listerine that first came to Pixar and said, can you animate a commercial while Steve owned it? And they said, actually, we think the hardware might be robust enough now to do it. It would save you lots of animators and lots of time and lots of money. They did that commercial. And it made money. And Steve Jobs turned around and said, hey, this is the first thing I've done that's made money in 20 years. Can you, or at least 10 years, keep doing this? So they made more commercials. Then finally, Disney came to this company, Pixar, and said, can you animate this script? It's called Toy Story. Well, that made $100 million. And suddenly, Steve Jobs is surrounded by the best storytellers in the world. And he begins to understand that the story is about a character that wants something. He begins to understand the power of clarity. And he comes back to Apple. They bring him back. And he defines something that his, his people want, his customer want. And it's an aspirational identity. He, he thinks they see themselves as misfits. But what they really are are secret geniuses that just have been unrecognized and unseen. And so he actually says, we are here to help you uh, help that secret genius be seen and heard in the world. And in those first ad campaigns, when Apple began to explode into the market and become one of the biggest companies in the world, there were no computers in their advertising. None. They didn't tell you how many megabytes there were, bandwidth, nothing. There were zero computers. They never mentioned computers. They started selling an identity. Mm -hmm. And people wanted that identity, and they knew they needed to use Apple computers to associate with it. So when we're talking about the internal things that we sell uh, along with our products, we're talking about adding enormous amounts of perceived value. You know, I own a pocket knife. Uh, uh, it's made by a company out of Portland, Oregon called Gerber. It's, it's one of my favorite knives. That pocket knife cost me like 50 bucks. Well, one of the reasons I wanted that knife is because they have a, t- a television commercial. It's mostly online, but it's a video commercial. 
And it just has character after character, a guy riding a bull, somebody mm-hmm. swimming under a boat, uh, uh, cutting a rope off of a propeller. And there's an anthemic music playing. And then the narrator is saying, hello, trouble. Are you afraid of me? I know I'll that video. For you, I know trouble. that video. You know that ad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I've only used that knife one time to open a bag of grass seed because I'm a writer and I don't need a pocket knife. But I paid 50 bucks for that pocket knife. And I've asked thousands of people now, do you think Gerber knives ripped me off? I mean, it cost me $50 to open a bag of grass seed. And everybody says, no, you you got this other thing with the knife. You got a feeling of being a tough man up for adventure. Well, now we've just decided that there are these intangible things that we can associate with our products that increase the perceived value. And so we're talking about internal problems and external problems and philosophical problems. We're talking about a depth of value that we can use language and craft language to associate with our products. And I believe it's chapter six or so of the Building a Story Brand book, but it talks about how to do that. And you'll find that when you do that, the perceived value of your product goes up and up and up and up because people aren't just getting the product. They're getting a better version of themselves by using the product. I love that statement, getting a better version of themselves. I mean, I am a, a, sometimes I feel like I should be above it. I am a sucker for a brand and a heart. <laughs> and, I, and I know we all are. I know. There's I know why, but I've got a, a box. Reason. We all are. I got a box right behind me of another, another MacBook Pro. It's probably the 10th one I've had throughout my yeah. family. And uh, yeah, they've, they've got me with that. Well, so the next one, and again, as we jump through these, there were just things that I heard that I had not heard before I had not considered before. And the next one on meeting a guide, you talk about, they need two characteristics, empathy and authority. And I thought, well, authority, that's a no brainer. I mean, that's what we've been doing forever. I think as we come off as the, you know, as, as the authority to be this guide, empathy is not one that I had consciously put at the forefront. Uh, Explain that piece of it a little bit. Well, the two things we do to position ourselves as a guide in somebody's life are we express empathy. We demonstrate that we care about them, that we feel their pain. Remember Bill Clinton saying, I feel your pain. And the next is we demonstrate competency, authority. You know, I I feel your pain and I know how to get you out of this. Those are the two statements that position us in the minds of our customer as their guide, which remember, that's the character that they're actually looking for. But we have to demonstrate that we care about our customer story. And that's how we step into their story. Rather than tell our own story, we're stepping into their story when we care about their internal frustration. Okay. That one, yeah, that one is one, I think, again, I, as I'm looking at this, I'm going, gosh, I have not done that well. I'm not doing that, which is why I'm recrafting. And folks on this, again, as you hear this, I think to some degree, as you list out these seven things, this framework, I, I, my thought is, gosh, okay, it seems pretty simple, but I think as you said before, it's not easy. And that is... Um, well, it uh, takes a minute. It takes, you know, here's the great thing. We, we, um, we uh, went into the, to Miami during the... Uh, primaries and it was too late but jeb bush was at three percent we went in and talked to those guys for a day and they made some changes got up to ten percent before he dropped out by the time he was three percent in the polls he had 117 million dollars in the right to ride super PAC and 12 million dollars in the campaign fund and it bought him nothing i mean it didn't it didn't buy him good marketing collateral because he didn't have a message so the good news is is this is not a money problem anybody who has a company whose marketing isn't working, I want you to know this is not a money problem. If you keep throwing money at this thing, it's like holding a bullhorn up to a monkey. <laughs> You're just making a confusing message louder. <laughs> so let's get the message clear, and then our marketing will start to work like crazy. We all want to do marketing, but none of us want to do messaging. The power is in the messaging. What are you going to say? And once you get that message clear, then we spend money on websites and sales funnels and commercials and billboards and those kinds of things. But if the message isn't figured out, there's there's no magic marketing that's going to help you uh, clarify your message. You have to just sit down and do it. But again, the great news is it's free. Words are free. Mm-hmm. Nobody can charge us to come up with a series of words unless they're copyrighted. <laughs> you know, we can we can just use words all day long, but we just have to sit down and figure out what words we need to use. You know, uh, I can hear Dad's voice in my head, and when you know, it, and when he would speak, he had these common quotes that he would say he'd say you're born to win or you're endowed with the seeds of greatness <laughs> and then he would say we've just got to draw those out we you've got to polish those uh things within you and when you do then he would paint a vision for what would be theirs 
Well, what, what your dad is talking about, he, he was, he's such a master at, uh, you know, being people's guides. And there's a whole chapter in the book that talks about uh, how much we need to participate in our customers' transformation. Hmm. We need to choose an aspirational identity for them and help them become that better person. And, and, that's, and your dad did that. He did that in my life, did that in, in millions of other people's lives by reading his books early on. And so, uh, but it's one of the things that a guide does is they participate in the transformation of their characters. They help them become better people. And so then as part of that, he would always tell our team, he'd say, never give a promise without a plan. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. Right. Because otherwise right, right disillusionment, you get despair, you, you know, you get all those things. So, so you talk about the plan, what is, you know, when you talk about the plan, how does that wrap into this? Uh, plan is uh, basically a way to, to you know, you want to break down the process that customers have to go through or get to go through in order to do business with you into small steps. And Because what happens is a customer won't do business with you if they're intimidated by it or if this is going to take, uh, you know, uh, too long or if it's going to be complicated. And so it's basically, you know, if a financial advisor said, hey, let's meet together and uh, we'll go through your finances, bring your checkbook. Well, I'm probably not going to want that meeting, right? But if they say, hey, let's get together. I just want to, we're going to do this in three phases. The first phase, I'm going to hear your goals. The second phase, uh, we're actually going to come up with a custom plan to help you execute those goals. And the third phase, we're going to execute those goals. Then my brain says, okay, this actually is pretty easy. You know, I think I can do this. I'm much, much more likely to do business with you. Unfortunately, gentlemen, I think we're a little bit over. I'm going to have to take off here just because my next meeting is standing in the hallway. Uh, But uh, I've greatly enjoyed this conversation. Absolutely. Well, and the point of this is, folks, to go get the book. Again, I love it. It's not just a theory, literally a workbook that Tom and I first got. Yeah, we were lucky enough to get a a pre-release and are working through. And it's significant. I'm uh, blown away by how you took this message that I initially got through a million miles in a thousand years and have taken it into business. And it just seems ridiculously spot on, obviously, which is why you've already shared this with three thousand companies um uh thank you we are on well, the thing, I, I got it. i can't uh have this opportunity without turning around thanking you guys i think the work that <laughs> you're doing and tom the work that your dad's doing I, I think measurably exponentially made the world a better place made me a better person i think there's a lot of us out here just as outsiders and fans that would say to you guys thanks for helping our marriages thanks for helping our families thanks for helping our careers thanks for helping our faith you know, if, if a guide like Yoda participates in helping the hero become a better person and realize they are a Jedi, then your dad is definitely Yoda and you guys have become Yoda juniors and now Yoda <laughs> seniors. No offense, you know, we're all yeah. getting older. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, I, I, I just, if, if I'm on your show, I'm, I'm going to have to turn it around on you and say uh, thank you so much for all you've contributed to the world and to my life. All right. Well, so glad to have you on here. What a blessing. Um, God bless yes. you guys. Thank you so much, Don. Thank you. Friends, I hope you will stop your business efforts now and reorient them around Don's story strategy. You can get the book again, Building a Story Brand, Clarify Your Message so customers will listen wherever you buy books and connect with Don at storybrand.com. Coming up next in show 499, Don shares his personal health success habits and the seven spokes of the Ziegler Wheel of Life. You'll get a behind-the-scenes look into his literal daily habits for success. Uh, When you get value from the show, please leave a positive review in iTunes. We need your support. Thanks for being here, where we inspire our true performance together. 